0: Hello and welcome to Dragon Bites, the paediatric podcast aimed at paediatric trainees or anyone interested in child health. I'm Asim, one of the paediatric trainees here in Wales and one of the presenters for Dragon Bites. This week we're joined by Professor Orhan Uzun, paediatric and foetal cardiologist at the University Hospital of Wales. He's going to start a whole new series of lectures with us, all on left to right shunts. We're going to start the first in this series today, with an episode about vein of galen malformations. Anyway, let's get started. Um, Hello everyone. So I've been joined again by the excellent Professor Orhan Uzun, Fetal and Paediatric Cardiologist at the uh, University Hospital of Wales. Um, Thank you for joining us, Professor Uzun.
1: Thank you very much for asking me to join you.
0: Oh, you've been very popular. Um, the The podcasts we have from your cardiology se- series have been very well received by the people who've been listening in. So we're going to have a discussion today, and I thought, but I thought I'd let you introduce our topic, if that's okay. Um, so what will you be teaching me?
1: <laughs> today, our teaching will take a different angle. Mm. I'm going to take you out of classic textbooks and make this a fun for you. Mm. And also uh, relevant to day to day clinical practice. So, today I'm not going to teach you about ASD in isolation, VSD in isolation, AV septal defect, or PDA in isolation. Well, I will put them in one pot called left to right channels. Okay. If you conceptualize the whole matter together, and it will make it long lasting. And you will never forget them
0: fine so we're going to have a we're going to think about the whole of this topic as shunting from the left to the right but subcategorized into other areas absolutely
1: it will be a summary it will be honey and and fruit of it <laughs> rather than <laughs> using a lot of elaborate words and confusing you further fab
0: because it doesn't take very much to confuse me professor <laughs>
1: I get confused still, you're not alone, (laughs) I can tell you. The reason I did this, left to right shunts are classified in books in various forms, but my classification and my advice to you would be to conceptualize from anatomical perspective, Mm -hmm. like we do with anomalous pulmonary venous return. Mm -hmm. We need to take the heart and the outside structures and put them together in the context of space. Mm. The chance could be either above the heart itself mm. at the arteriovenous end, mm. completely in distal portion of our body. Okay. That is a different entity, is not written in books, and we don't know much about it. Mm. Because it's rare. And the second, and perhaps the one of the most common left-to-right shunt, at the atrial level. Mm-hmm. So we come into the heart, above the tricuspid valve at atrial level. Mm-hmm. And the third type of shunt is the most common one, mm-hmm. intraventricular, below the tricuspid valve and mitral valve, mm-hmm. and also below the aortic and pulmonary valves. Sure. So the intracardiac shunt can also occur in the ventricular level, mm-hmm. below the tricuspid and mitral valves, and up to aortic and pulmonary valves. Mm-hmm. VSDs namely, and also a v septal defect combining the two. So intracardiac shunt could be in atrial level, in ventricular level, or combining the two atrioventricular level. And then we have the shunts beyond the Arterioventricular valves. What are they? PDA, Mm -hmm. which is quite common in preterm babies, and also a rare entity, sort of PDA but without any long tube, direct communication of aorta and pulmonary artery. Do you know what it is called? Mm. No, I don't. Very rare. Uh, Yeah. Many cardiologists also probably did not see this uh, this condition, this uh, pathology. Mm. It's called AP window. AP window. Aorta pulmonary window but it's
0: so essentially anatomically similar to a PDA but without the tube
1: just a direct link between the two vessels correct exactly and we'll talk about how it happens why it happens when it comes to that section
0: fab so let me just make sure I've got this clear in my head so we're going to cover this in I think four segments so the first we're going to talk about lesions that occur before the heart um, and that could be could that have I got this right could this be anywhere in the body correct right but
1: neonatologists would like it hmm. particularly the one occurs in the brain
0: oh wow okay this I'm, I'm already excited to find out more about this then the the next we're going to head into the heart we're going to look above the level of the tricuspid valve so we're looking at intra atrial communications correct and then below that level will be our next grouping where we're looking predominantly at intraventricular communications. Correct. And then we're going into our final category, which will be after the heart, and we're looking at aorto
1: communications. Correct, exactly, exactly, wow. well done. I mean, see, the um, if you put the picture as a whole, mm. and yourself, marvellously described, even within seconds, <laughs> I may finish in my talk. I hope the audience also will conceptualize this. Mm clearly and they will enjoy it. I'm 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 pretty confident and I would be very interested in their feedback. Yeah. Let's talk about the first entity which occurs at the arteriovenous junction. Mm. Start with the most relevant abnormality would be a great interest in to neonatologists as well as general pediatrician. That is the vein of Galen aneurysm. Mm. Such communication means that the arch, the arteries in, in the peripheral circulation do not have the gap junctions, do not have the boundaries to reduce the pressure and allow tissue exchanges, mm-hmm. but rather arterial flow unimpededly goes into the um, veins and they come straight back to the heart. As a result of it, there is an increased circulation. We call that high output cardiac circulation or high output cardiac failure, if it leads to cardiac failure. Mm. It is the only one which gives you left and right heart failure right. at the same time. It can happen in the brain. When it happens in the brain, mm-hmm. you will hear a murmur in the fontanelle. So I'm adding another spot for you to listen to. (laughs) I've never considered listening to the Fontanelles before. Wow. This is one of the conditions that you would then you would look and probably a little bit funny Mm -hmm. when other people didn't appreciate what you're doing. But when you explain, you will look very smart when you detect such (laughs) an abnormality. This condition resembles and mimics persistent fetal circulation and shows itself as if there is pulmonary hypertension mm. so it is not uncommon these babies to be treated as if they had delay in reduction in the pulmonary vascular resistance hence pulmonary hypertension mm. and guess what occasionally quartation. oh right because of increased flow into the brain and still phenomenon there is remarkable reverse flow from aorta back into the head and neck vessels. Hmm. Hence, less flow goes to the periphery and the isthmus, where usually coarctation occurs in the descending aorta, becomes so small and the pulses become so weak. And sometimes this condition can mimic coarctation. So be aware, if there is such a baby hmm. but high up cardiac failure, and showing signs signs of pulmonary difficulty, pulmonary hypertension, and you can't feel the pulses, put your stethoscope, not only at the back, remember, for coaptation, mm. but also okay. in the brain. Also in the brain. That's a little tip for you. Wow. Oops, don't tell that to you. <laughs> <laughs> so
0: working my way through the pathophysiology of this, we've got this sort of high output um blood flow from the aorta and it's not meeting the normal resistance it would do prior to entering the venous system so we then have quite a high pressure flow going into the venous system Correct. And that's what leads to our sort of right-sided element of the heart failure Correct. and also the pulmonary hypertension. Correct. You mentioned that we also have this high flow going... i coughing to- because I'm absolutely at standard. <laughs> I just want to... I like just having these things clear in my head. So you mentioned that you have this high flow then going up towards the brain, to, I, I take it through the aorta and then up towards your, your superior circulation towards the brain. And because of that... So how come there's a high flow going in that direction... And, how, and there's a reduction in the flow going, um,
1: you know, via the rest of
0: the aorta. Leading wonderful to question. Wonderful.
1: Yeah. Absolutely wonderful. There is a um, beautiful physiological phenomenon. Mm. It is called brain sparing effect. Mm. body is designed, the nature designed our body and physiology, to spare and protect the vital organs by redistributing Blood flow from peripheral circulation to the vital organs mm. in times of crisis. Mm. So it happens in many conditions. So blood flow is redirected from your splenic plexus, from your gut, from your skin mm. into your brain and coronary circulation. Right. And that is the element of it. And what happens in organs that is vital to our survival. They r- reduce resistance, and the peripheral vascular resistance increases to maintain circulation in mm. those vital organs. Hence, if the resistance is low, blood would flow towards brain and other vital organs easily, right? then flowing into the organs where the vascular resistance is higher.
0: So as such, would that mean that these the babies who were presenting with this, in my head, I pictured them as babies, um, would they present with perhaps core peripheries then? Correct?
1: right absolutely correct um and shut down appearances and mm. uh, like in um, pulmonary hypertension and they would also have element of desaturation mm. these babies usually present antenatally and mid postnatal period mm-hmm. and they would have cyanosis as well as congestive heart failure and increased pulmonary circulation wow. and pulmonary hypertension incredible and that's the first phenomenon mm. i think that is probably uh, a new concept that we are introducing to our listeners mm. same phenomenon can happen in other parts of our body mm. um, like we can have a teratoma in sacra coccy- coccygeal region mm. and or we can have arteriovenous malformation in the liver mm. so same findings might be expected in the liver If you put your stereoscope on the liver you might hear continuous murmur like you would hear in the brain yeah continuous murmur you expect to hear in these babies Mm -hmm. systolic and diastolic without any interruption Mm -hmm. it can happen on your skin at the back if there is a large arteriovenous malformation Mm -hmm. but to be able to hear the murmur you need to have good amount of shuns right usually what we call it more than 1.5 to one so 1.5 of our cardiac output should be diverted into the opposite circulation less blood should be going to the systemic circulation if the shunt is two to one so two volume goes to the um, venous system Mm -hmm. and one volume goes to one unit goes to the arterial system then you would hear it easily Mm -hmm.
0: So 1.5 to 1 would suggest that you've got a uh, 50% greater volume going towards the shunt right. than the rest of the c- right. circulation. Right. Uh, you mentioned the the um, lesion being in the brain first was that because is that perhaps is that because that's the most common form that this sort of shunt
1: takes? Correct. This is the most common shunt that we come across mm. in babies. I am yet to see a child with cardiac failure that was related to an arteriovenous shunt in the liver Mm -hmm. or elsewhere we have seen older children who developed cardiac failure as a result of arteriovenous shunt as a result of coronary fistula Mm -hmm. going into the ventricle going into the atrium but this is also exceptionally rare Mm -hmm. and it's in fact in my view less frequently seen than the vein of galen aneurysm and the um, peripheral cutaneous or liver or kidney or sacrococcygeal arteriovenous malformations. Wow,
0: okay. So say we, um, I've seen a baby on, on the neonatal unit or something like that and, and this is what I'm suspecting, you know, uh, a sort this sort of high cardiac output lesion. Um, how would I go about investigating whether my thoughts on the matter are correct? We've met, You mentioned putting the stethoscope where we suspect the lesion to be. Is there anything else I should be doing in terms of investigating the lesion?
1: Um, uh, absolutely right, yes. Investigations are necessary in this condition. You hope that most of them would be detected antenatally, it but mm-hmm. I can tell you some of it may escape detection. It's mm-hmm. not uncommon. Uh, first of all, ultrasound is readily available. But prior to applying ultrasound, you must always use your stethoscope. Mm -hmm. You must always use your clinical observation uh, and palpation skills. Mm -hmm. Observation would show a breathless child, blue child, Mm -hmm. full pulses, and also increased cardiac impulse of the right and left ventricle. And when you did ECG, it would show increased right-sided as well as left-sided forces Mm -hmm. and it would show tachycardia. Then you would move on to the next step and they would be either readily available ultrasound in all neonatal units. Mm -hmm. Um, You would do chest x-ray. By the time you call radiology, Mm -hmm. you might as well put the probe on the brain. You also get the cardiologist to do um, echocardiogram. Okay. Those are the investigations in a sequence I would do. And recommend
0: what would we doing a chest x-ray um, any particular things that we would find
1: on the chest x-ray you would see by ventricular enlargement Heart mm-hmm. would be globally enlarged mm-hmm. and the pulmonary vascularity then increased size of main pulmonary arteries size of pulmonary artery branches would be obvious and prominent on the chest x-ray wow. and patient also would have congestion findings
0: okay so we might well, be looking at something like pulmonary fluid and plethora plethora, yes
1: so perhaps pulmonary edema yes Uh, in a in the uh, perhaps advanced and worst case scenarios even that can happen Mm. in fissures Mm. and also in interstitial spaces wow correct and right atrium would be bulging towards the right lung fields normally should not expand onto the right side more than any age more than two fingers okay of course it depends on the size of your finger yeah if you got two big fingers and <laughs> you must say no more than one finger mm-hmm. if it is exceeding more than two fingers that right atrium is abnormal it's a little tip for you okay
0: wow okay that's really helpful so we're going to clinically examine this child looking for the findings you've mentioned we're going to get an ecg going to get a chest x-ray we're going to get an echo and while doing the echo we can use that same ultrasound probe and have a look at where we suspect this fistula may be
1: you would probably be able to do ultrasound before echocardiogram because ultrasound is readily available in all neonatal units Mm. in my view all neonatologists and paediatricians. pediatrician must be taught and developed in terms of how to use cranial ultrasound in these scenarios. Mm. This is one of the conditions that would be very helpful, yeah. because it will show dot 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 dot. Can you feel the dots? <laughs> because you have to on-call, you see, All oh, right, I see. Yeah, I am you post I should point what out I am
0: post night shift. Uh,
1: duramater. Absolutely duramater. So we got the sagittal sinus, we got the transverse sinus, mm. We've got the sigmoid sinuses, yeah. and then we've got the confluence, so on. Mm. And uh, any of these sinuses may be enlarged. Yeah. Okay. So dura major sinuses would be enlarged. And uh, vein of galen would look incredibly big, enlarged, with massive, like, spider net circulation mm. between vein of galen and the sinuses. And dilated sinuses are the affected one. And that is the ultrasound finding. Um, So we should also put the probe on the occipital fontanelle as well, Professor? That's correct, that's correct. Do you think we should also put on the bones?
0: Well, uh, I feel like the way you mentioned it suggests that we should. (laughs) Yes, (laughs) But I would be grateful if you'd explain why.
1: Yes, because in uh, neonates, Mm. still there are um, gaps between bones Mm. and if you come on the temporal bones Mm. you would be able to see sagittal sinuses better oh right okay and that is the reason so it shouldn't stop you from going uh, on the bony areas to find the uh, interdigitations between the bones wow okay that's something i've never tried in neonatology
0: before but i'll keep that in mind in the future that sounds really interesting that's a little tip again we will have a (laughs) lot of tips in this talk yeah absolutely Fab. Um, so does that cover all the investigations or have we missed anything at this point? Well, stage?
1: do you think the investigation is complete if you didn't bother cardiologist? Well, <laughs> I feel like right now I'm bothering a cardiologist. <laughs> you are not, in fact, mm. bothering in the right way because this mm. is uh, a teamwork. Right yeah. Everybody should provide their input mm. because you're worried. The femoral pulse is also not palpable. Mm-hmm. So you express that cardiologist, also you ask him to come and have a look at the baby and tell what the pulmonary pressures are like. Mm-hmm. So when cardiologist comes and does echocardiogram or I do envisage in the future, neonatologist and pediatrician like yourself mm-hmm. will be able to do basic echocardiograms. Mm-hmm. That is absolutely necessary. We should share our knowledge and skill. Mm-hmm. And you should be able to do three, four things. Three things, in fact. One, to look at the function of the heart. That is absolutely essential because in this condition, function of the heart may be deteriorating, mm. may have already deteriorated. So you can look at the size of the ventricles and how they are contracting. That's mm. the first thing cardiologists will look. Second thing cardiologists will look at, the pressures inside the cardiac chambers. Mm. Is there a pulmonary hypertension here? And if there is, what is the pulmonary pressure, Mm. then you need to formulate your treatment and decide on the appropriate management with medication, ventilation, nitric oxide, and so on, Mm. pulmonary vasodilators. And the third uh, thing cardiologists will look at, um, the nature of shand, where it is coming from, what is the source of cardiac dilatation? Mm. Is it at the atrial level? Is it at the ventricular level? Is it at the arterial level? Is it? and precardiac and in end organs, in the arteriovenous level. Mm. So that's what cardiologists is going to do. And of course, the fourth thing is to rule out other associated lesions like coarctation, look at the isthmus and demonstrate supportive findings of vein of galen aneurysm to show reverse flow. Mm.
0: So to show that the flow is going
1: up towards the brain and we're losing some of the flow going down the aorta. That's right, that's right and also demonstrate in these patients, there is no additional VSD, there is no additional um, AP window, Mm -hmm. there is no additional stenosis and so on. That Mm -hmm. is crucial because when you find one major lesion, then sometimes it is very tricky to maintain your attention Mm -hmm. uh, in the way of excluding other Abnormalities, As in,
0: you found a diagnosis and then you almost focus entirely on that, forgetting that you still haven't ruled out the others. It is
1: the most common mistake we all make. I would urge you to um, pack it and put aside and go on as if you haven't seen anything. Mm. But always connect it. Leave some channels connected to that lesion. Mm -hmm.
0: Um, Now that we've covered investigating the lesion, uh, how would we get about to managing
1: it? Management has to be prompt, mm-hmm. multidisciplinary, and it should be well-coordinated by the neonatologist. First of all, symptomatic treatment, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, diuretics to reduce the uh, um, volume mm-hmm. and offload the baby's peripheral as well as um, pulmonary circulation. Mm-hmm. Judicious use of diuretics, of course. If there is any cardiac dysfunction, then you should try inotropes. Preferably, inodilators because you need to dilate pulmonary circulation. That's very important to reduce pulmonary vascular resistance. But when you dilate pulmonary circulation, then you will increase pulmonary flow further Mm. and you will lead to further cardiac failure. So you've got to be very careful. Nitric oxide, again, will help and it will increase pulmonary vessel sizes, but it will increase the shunt too. Mm. So it is very difficult. I see. So it has to be balanced. So you need inotropes, adrenaline, noradrenaline to increase the systemic pressure mm. so that you can reduce right to left shunt mm. through PDA and other fetal structures. Mm. So you need some vasoconstrictors, but you also need judici- judicious use of vasodilators. Um, without increasing pulmonary circulation too much. It sounds like it's a very fine balancing act. Absolutely correct, very fine. And the most important thing here is to coordinate the care immediately with the two neurosurgical centres. There are only two centres in the UK who do operate on these babies. Mm. One is uh, Liverpool Mm -hmm. and the second one is London Great Ormond Street Hospital. So remember, only two centers, they coordinate. If one of them is away, the other one takes on. Mm-hmm. And these basic patients perhaps should be transferred in the safest way. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometime, air transport might be necessary. In the case that I mentioned to you from peripheral hospital, mm-hmm. we coordinated ex- ex- excellently with pediatrician, neonatologist, and the of galen Surgical Center. Mm-hmm.
0: So are those the key teams that need to be involved then? So the neonatology team, your local cardiologist, and the
1: um, surgical centre for vein great, and Well, this is on the assumption of these babies will present immediately after birth. Yeah, yeah, of course. So you may you may wish to ask, are there any patients who may present later on? Are there any patients who may Yeah, um, Of course there are. Um, those ones initially probably didn't have significant shunt as i Mm. explained to you yeah it was small less than 1.5 to one and the shunt got bigger bigger so the amount of shunt was handled perfectly well by the person's heart Mm. Uh, and it became obvious when the child reached something like four months six months of age sometime um, earlier Mm. but beyond the neonatal period and in those babies then you have time to do different operations because the condition is not dire mm-hmm. and the patient is not in profound heart failure mm-hmm. and some centers attempt to do interventional closure of these communications so you can either close them surgically or even close them interventionally mm-hmm. um, interventional closure is the preferred method right even in neonatal period by using certain products the, the material neuro interventional person use or interventional neuroradiologists use either glue Mm -hmm. special glue which is occludes the end vessel Mm -hmm. or we use coils Mm -hmm. metal coils titanium coils and those coils of course become epithelialized and and block the shunt as much as it can Mm -hmm. procedure can be done in one go or can be done in multiple sessions right some babies may need more than one so you can do um, various interventional methods in these sections.
0: Wow. Okay. And, and I take it, that, so, but regardless of methods, so whether you go the surgical method or interventional, are those still based in the same um, centres you
1: mentioned Correct. earlier? Correct. But majority of those centres do intervention mainly. Surgery is rarely attempted recently, mm-hmm. and mainly interventional procedure. Right.
0: that's really helpful Um, was there anything else that we haven't discussed
1: yet in terms of managing the child Uh, I don't think so Uh, these patients of course will need to have um, proper assessment in terms of their neurologic ability Mm. and neurology uh, neurological development that must must be looked at Mm. when the child is growing and their milestones should be uh, observed their um, head control um, sitting up standing up, walking, talking, speech, these should be checked at regular intervals. Majority of these babies do not have any after effect or neurological deficit, but some might do. Mm -hmm. So therefore that is important. Mm -hmm. And also to exclude genetic, associated genetic abnormality, that is vital.
0: Lovely, so I think we've covered our first category comprehensively. If you had three take home messages for our listeners for this first category,
1: What do you think they would be? First one? Yeah. Listen to head, fontanelles. Mm -hmm. We added one more auscultation spot. Mm -hmm. If you have a child with high output cardiac failure Mm -hmm. and uh, cardiovascular examination doesn't suggest anything, listen to the head. Listen to the head. That's number one. Mm -hmm. Number two, these patients require team effort. Mm -hmm. I'm team input, neonatologist, cardiologist, and the specialist centers, Mm -hmm. interventional neuroradiologist. Hence, there has to be a coordination. Three, try to develop your skills on simple usage of ultrasound. (laughs) Look at the drum uh, major sinuses. Mm -hmm. If dramata or drama sinuses are dilated, then it would perhaps support the diagnosis and it would help your your efforts to stabilize this child. Excellent. So uh, I hope that is clear. One, so do you wanna describe Yeah. So one,
0: go go and listen to the head. Okay. <laughs> Two, this is a multidisciplinary effort we need neonatologists or perhaps pediatricians if this is a later presentation, cardiologists and the specialist center, neuroradiologists. And three, develop our skills in ultrasound scanning. Um, So as we think about looking at the dura mater, because that might be
1: supportive for a diagnosis of a vein. Confirmative fact. Confirmative, oh, there we are. That's right. Ah. Um, And if you want to expand on ultrasound, also develop your skills on cardiac scan. Mm on three things look at the function function Mm -hmm. of the heart chamber sizes you're looking at three things nothing else you Mm -hmm. need to look at chamber sizes function of the heart you need to look at and the other thing you need to look at with the ultrasound in the heart is there any Mm effusion? three things pediatricians we're not expecting or we're not asking you to learn many Mm -hmm. and it's it's easy to detect those three things three abnormalities um, at your level, in my view.:
0: Excellent. Right.
1: Um, thank you
0: very much, Professor Orzuoon. Oh, <laughs> Professor Uzun.
1: No no problem. So you're not the
0: first one misspelling it. <laughs> <laughs> um. And I just wanted to say thank you to Professor Orhan Uzun for recording that episode for us way through that episode, I went off on a bit of a tangent to discuss how paediatric trainees could develop skills in echocardiography throughout their training. So if you're interested in such a thing, please keep on listening.
1: Anything else? Do you think we should elaborate on the treatment? Yeah. Oh yeah, it'd
0: be good to get to the management. But yeah. I just wanted to say that I, I agree wholeheartedly with this idea about paediatricians, learning at least some basic echocardiogram skills. And it's something that I'd love to be doing myself in the future. Um, uh, uh, This is a a complete aside, but what would be your tips for general pediatricians or pediatric trainees who are interested in developing their skills in echocardiography?
1: Put a special request in your program lead. Yeah. That you would like to do rotation with cardiology. Hmm. And if possible, you may spend additional time towards the end of your training and come and get more exposure. Mm-hmm. And I would fully recommend you guys to attend one or two courses and also acquire one basic echocardiography book, mm-hmm. whether it is hard copy or online. And that is the starting point. And the other thing is, we're all happy to have you in our comments. You try to find from your busy schedule to come and join us And don't hesitate to ask questions Mm. because time um, is moving very rapidly and the knowledge has to be shared between the team members it shouldn't be left to the individual who may be one or two in the group Mm. but pediatricians are many Mm. and therefore we should make this available everywhere to remove health inequalities and make sure that everybody will be comfortable in managing these patients and the patients also will be safer if you think about it. Yeah, absolutely. So come and talk to us, join our clinics, acquire a book, attend one of the courses, prepare yourself and arrange your rotation. That's what I would recommend. If you're more enthusiastic, then take perhaps additional a year to do uh, cardiology interest. Brilliant. Thank you very much.
0: And this is a final thank you to Professor Orhan Uzun for providing that advice for us. Tune in again next week where we'll have the next episode in this series focusing on atrial septal defects. Thank you for listening to Dragon Bites.